The Athletic. Yes, it's day two at the World Cup, where it's Qatar pounder as England do Iran 6-2. Also, a thrilling 1-1 between USA and Wales and Netherlands 2, Senegal 0. Still yet to have a 1-0 scoreline because one love is banned at this tournament. We'll review all of that and have a nod to Tuesday's action. Argentina, France, Denmark, where we'll have a 1-0 as he joins us to preview the Danish hopes. All of that and more in this Totally at the World Cup, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Hey, listener. It's Monday evening for us. It's just the end of day two of the World Cup. I've got Carl Anker and Tom Williams here, and we've just lived through the emotional roller coaster, the raw drama that was USA, uh, Wales also, uh, wow, incredible, incredible. Well, I feel drained just sitting next to Tom through that car. Very much so. He made a number of strange sounds that I know I'll make one day in my future. Yeah, I thought that was actually Welsh. He was speaking Welsh, but yeah. Uh, Tom, uh, well, I mean, we'll, we'll get on to the game analysis, but how are you feeling right now? Yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, I feel like I've now alighted from the roller coaster, um, albeit legs still a little bit wobbly. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure that I've stopped making those slightly weird guttural animal noises. I quite that enjoyed Carl a bit. It must have been five minutes from time where the ball was in the Wales box and you, you just quite loudly yelled F off I mean you know that's football and it'll do that to you uh, lots of fans shouting around the world as they witness the events of day two of this World Cup we had not only the 1-1 between USA and Wales but also that last minute drama in the game between Netherlands and Senegal which saw the Orangi running out 2-0 winners plus you may have read or seen England uh, beating Iran by uh, Small scoreline of six goals to two. We'll talk about that very, very, very soon. What was your moment of the day? What What was your favourite bit of all of that, Carl? I think the most heartwarming moment for me was Jack Grealish's goal celebration, mm. realising it was in tribute to, to a young Manchester City fan who he promised the next time he would score, he would dedicate it to him. So that was quite nice, just knowing. Probably not so young anymore, that, that fan then. It's been a while since Greece has scored, isn't it? Yeah. But Good. that's maybe that's why he's been allowing Miguel Almiron to outscore him all this time, so that he could save his next goal for the bigger stage. Possibly you know, so. Playing the long game. Tom, what was your moment of the day? Um, I'm going to not pick the really obvious uh, choice of Gareth Bale's penalty and going for the, go for the ever so slightly less obvious choice of the Welsh anthem, uh, which, as everyone knows, whether you're Welsh or not, is, is a bit of a crowd pleaser. Um, and which I thought sounded uh, and looked pretty magnificent, um, being belted out by all those Wales fans in, in Doha. And also for the personal reason that when I attended Wales' opening game against Slovakia in Bordeaux at Euro 2016, I decided to film uh, the anthem uh, for posterity and was prevented from doing so by a UEFA busybody. Uh, so that was a moment that was taken away from me. So, I mean, kind of my own fault for not wanting to just live in the moment, but nonetheless. But, I, you know, I, I nonetheless was able to You were there to in the press box. Today. Yes. Yeah. You were in the press box and the game hadn't started. Game hadn't started. You were just started. filming the, 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 the singing the anthem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, come That's on. That's joyless, isn't it? It's pretty joyless. There's been a lot of that joyless behaviour 
seen a lot of fans having items of clothing removed, all because they were just trying to suggest that people should love one another. Anyway, we'll, we'll touch on some of that later on because we've got Adam Crafton on to talk about some of the events of uh, Monday. But let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the, the games first of all, and I think we'll start with Monday nights. USA won, Wales won. Enter the Dragon. Leon Edrych and Adaris, Gareth Bale. A penderfyniad, a cyfler. He ddod a Cymru yn gyfartel. Mae o'n ffigio! Gareth Bale! Wrth gwrs oedd o'n sgorio, a captain! Woof. OK, so USA taking the lead in the first half through Timothy Weir. Timothy Weir. Here's David Todd, who's pointing out that the last two goals scored against Wales at the World Cup were by Ware and Pele. <laughs> but then in the second half, it all changed. It all changed, Tom. Why? Well, Kiefer Moore was the man who changed the game from a Welsh perspective. Um, it's quite rare to see Rob Page get things as wrong as I think he did in, in the first half in terms of his team selection and his tactics. Um, in that he set Wales out in a, a 3-5-2 with no recognised striker, Gareth Bale and, and Daniel James furthest forward. And I think the idea was that by picking three central midfielders, Wales would avoid being overrun in the middle of the pitch by the States and they'd be able to hit them on the counter-attack when they, when they won the ball back. But they were nonetheless still overrun in midfield by the US, as we saw with their goal, with Christian Pulisic streaking down the middle of the pitch and, and setting up Timothy Weir for a really nicely taken goal. And, and Wales just didn't really have a kick at all in the first half. And it was only once Kiefer Moore came on that they managed to establish that that foothold um, in, in US territory. Um, and pretty much right from the start of the second half and the first sort of 20, 25 minutes, you know, Wales had a real go. The states looked as if they'd they'd ridden the storm, um, and then just when you needed the star men to to stand up and, and make the difference, Brennan Johnson takes a quick throw on the right hand side. Aaron Ramsey gallops into space and cuts it back to Gareth Bale, who gets just in front of Tim Ream, wins the penalty, scores the penalty, um, and despite having barely had a touch of the ball uh, up to that point, he's Wales's saviour once again. Give us a stat about Gareth Bale goals. Yeah, so uh, each of Bale's last five goals for club and country uh, have been scored in the 80th minute or later, um, which is you know, proof that he has become this sort of ultimate clutch player, proof perhaps also that he's only really good for about 10 minutes of football these days. But whichever way you cut it, Wales fans, once again, very thankful to count Gareth Bale in their ranks. Yeah, Wales swarming forward from the start of the second half. And uh, I think three shots on goal, none from the USA who'd completely dominated the first half. So it was remarkable how much the domination, the momentum shifted in that game, the way that USA withdrew, withdrew. They must be extremely concerned. The good news for them, though, that fantastic Timothy Ware goal, uh, Graham Souness will tell you that football talent doesn't necessarily run in the Ware family, but with Timothy... He's got it. I he's quite got enjoyed it. the video. Yes, that went out yesterday from the parents of the United States men's national team. So you had, you know, parent, 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 and it cuts to George Ware, president of Liberia, yeah. in uh, slightly uh, opulent surroundings, doing a very sullen face saying, go on, Timothy, but also the subject's being, don't, don't embarrass yourself here. Don't disgrace the family name. Uh, this, this United States team is young. They're coalescing. Uh, Eunice Musa, who plays at Valencia, really tidy box-to-box player as well. But uh, yeah, I think 
what Tom said when Kiefer Moore came on. The, the tide turned. The Wales got a little bit more territory in that final third. Uh, Ethan Ampadu slowly grew into the game a bit more as well. Uh, and then midfield battle just really shifted. You happy with the 1-1, Tom? Yes, I am. I think I probably would have taken it before the game, um, particularly given how weak Iran looked against England. Um, I think Wales would would have been targeting a win in their second game against Iran anyway, but seeing how how ruthlessly England tore them apart, I think that will increase optimism of a, of a Welsh win on Friday. I would have snapped your hand off a 1-1 at half-time uh, after that pretty abject first half from Wales. Um, so yeah, I think I think the fact of, of of having finished the game so strongly and, you know, just on the one hand, you have the, the tournament context, which is all about trying to win games and get points on the board and get out of the group. But there's also the context of being a tiny country appearing at a first World Cup in 64 years and moments like that. I mean, they're important for fans of every team, but a Gareth Bale penalty in the 82nd minute at the Wales end, in those circumstances, um, it's just another just another episode to add to this wonderful story that us Wales fans have been living these last seven, eight years. So on the whole, yeah, pretty content. All right. How bad were Iran against England? That's what we'll be talking about next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This upcoming World Cup, what are The Athletic going to be doing about it? Well, every night I'll be hosting a Totally Football show with the likes of Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and the rest of the Totally crew. Then every morning from Qatar, wham, The Athletic Football Podcast will be at you with David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and many more. There'll also be World Cup content from Adam Hurry's Football Clichés podcast, Michael Cox's insightful Athletic Football Tactics podcast and Joe Devine's TIFO podcast with all the stories that matter from Qatar. All in all, The Athletic is your essential audio companion for the upcoming World Cup. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Okay, so playing the ball through for Wilson, and it's reached Wilson, and Wilson now into the area, plays it across, Grealish! What a start for England in Doha! And Jack Grealish joins the party now! Okay, England 6, Iran 2. 
Carl, if you were writing a wish list of goal scorers for this game, would it have read Bellingham, Saka, Sterling, then another from Saka, uh, then your friend Rashford, and then, hey, Jack Grealish? Yeah, it's pretty much everyone. I, I might have had a you know Harry Maguire set-piece goal just really? to complete the set. Mm. But that was a thoroughly nourishing, thoroughly pleasing England performance. There's an excellent piece on the Athletic just, that's just gone up from Michael Cox saying one of the big differences from this England performance compared to other Southgate England games is the fullbacks really got forward. They're really important to this. Kieran Trippier and Luke Shaw, both really progressive fullbacks. Uh, and I think their overlaps for Saka and Sterling respectively really aided, aided with the attacks. This is... This was a game built by many as sort of a meeting of sufferable managers. So the Saran squad doesn't really have too many natural wingers, play quite narrow. Uh, and, and Southgate, for better or for worse, has taken a, a few notes from Carlos Quiroz in international football, from Didier Deschamps, from Santos, and, and often wants to smother the space and enjoyment and maximise the set pieces. But lo and behold, goals, loads of them. How joyous. Mm. So... England had come into the tournament off the back of their worst build-up ever and they made their best start ever. I don't think they've ever started a, a tournament with a 6-2 before. Why? How much of it was the fact that they were playing Iran in this game? I think. Can we call this a reverse Capello? Capello, uh, fantastic mm -hmm. during qualification stages for England right. and then obviously quite bad in the group stages. Um, this, this Iran team will not be nice to play football against. They, uh -huh. they are stubborn, they're obdurate, they will try and time waste, they will foul, uh, and they will play very, very narrow. I think the key to beating Iran, if, if you're Wales or if you're the United States, is getting your fullbacks high up the field, is getting your wide players to really navigate through those tricky areas. And England did that time and time again. Saka is, I think he was England's men's player of the year last year, and he's, he's continued... Raheem Sterling in England shirt ever since Gareth Southgate's come in charge and they changed to this 3-5-2 from 2018 is just superb. Uh, and yes, it, it, uh, Harry Kane didn't score, but he got two assists. This is a very good team that now maximises their chances when they enter the final third and, and lo and behold, they can score goals. They've well, got quality. England made it look easy. How easy, Tom? How about this for a stat? England completed in the first half 366 passes. That's the second most by a team in a World Cup game since 1966. Uh, Iran completed just 46, which is the fewest by any team in the first half of the game since 1966 as well. And it did help that the first half was about 79 minutes long. Um, <laughs> but, you know, let's, let's not take anything away from England's achievement. But no, just to pick up on what Carl was saying about some of the key performers, I think it was a performance that, that really vindicated a lot of Gareth Southgate's selection choices and once again showed that when it comes to international football... Club form is not quite as relevant as a lot of people would have you think. The most important thing in international football is having players who know the system, who understand their responsibilities and who ideally have shown that they can perform in that system at some point in the past. And albeit against limited opposition, we saw that today. You know, Harry Maguire wasn't very troubled defensively, but, you know, looked a lot more solid than he often does with Manchester United. Bakayo Saka was picked over Phil Foden and... Whereas that might have raised some eyebrows when the team sheet was handed in. I don't think anyone would have questioned that decision at the end of the game. And if you actually think back to the last couple of years, I don't think there's much of a case to be made for Foden to be picked over Saka in terms of what those players have done when they're playing for England. I mentioned the goal scorers. It's worth just stopping and admiring a, a, a little bit some of that. There were some excellent goals in there. Which was your favourite? I am partial to Jude Bellingham. Oh, I thought you were going to say Marcus Rashford, your book writing pal. I, 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 I might. It was that very was nice that he, he went with his first touch, but I am a big fan of Jude Bellingham. I think he is one of a handful of players that will go on to shape what football in the 2020s will look like. He is 
tall, dynamic, fantastic on the ball. He can dribble through tight spaces. There's going to be, you know, providing he avoids injury and, and goes to the right club, I think there's going to be a point in time where Champions League clubs are either going to try and make more Jude Bellingham's or spend a long time trying to figure out a way to stop Jude Bellingham. Mm. That's how high I am on him. And, okay. and the leap he got for that header was fantastic. He is... No one's really thinking about Calvin Phillips being injured right now because Bellingham is just doing the job. He should be given the keys to this midfield. And then Saka made it 2-0. Tom, what was your favourite out of all, all of these? My favourite goal was the Raheem Sterling goal. Was it? I thought the finish was exquisite. Mm. Harry Kane pulling wide, waiting putting the cross in uh, and Sterling checked his run really cleverly. And then the difficulty of the finish, because he kind of meets the ball at the near post, mm -hmm. it's somewhere between knee height and hip height. And he kind of uses the, the the outside of his right boot where the kind of the upper meets the sole plate. He's got his back to Kane by the time he makes contact with the ball. He's not really looking at the goal and the contact he makes is absolutely perfect. And it bullets past the goalkeeper I thought it was a lovely goal there you go that was 3-0 after half time Saka added another then uh, Mediterami brought it back to 4-1 then Rashford with his third touch after coming onto the the pitch uh, with his first tournament goal in I think his fourth tournament is that right Carl? he was uh, Euro 2016 World Cup 2018 Euro 2020 and yeah. now this yes yeah and then Callum Wilson generously supplying Jack Grealish and then an air quotes penalty in about the 175th minute. <laughs> uh, and there you go, 6-2 for the three points. Who's up next for the three Lions? It is the United States on Friday. The United nice. States on Friday. Stars and stripes. All right. And if England win that game, I'm told they're already through to the next round. Incredible. One other game played on Wednesday, and that was Netherlands 2, Senegal 0. It was rather dull until the 84th minute when this happened. That's right, listener, with your Dutch. That was Cody Gakpo. Dutch commentary always delivers, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> Scoring with Netherlands. First shot on target, that was, in the 84th, 85th minute. Yeah, as I said, it wasn't the greatest, but you're a Cody Gakpo fan, aren't you, Carl? Oh, big card-carrying member of Why? Gakpo FC. He is uh, just a delightful six-foot-two, uh, rangy, uh, quick, but not rapid, got fantastic ball-striking ability. He's in that very fun state where he is one of, if not the best player in the Eredivisie at the moment, and also nearing that state is where he is, quote-unquote, too good for the Eredivisie. Mm. Uh, so, Vertbal International, one of the leading Dutch football magazines, they do post-match ratings and his, he's averaging out sort of leaps and bounds from the next player. Uh, and he's just a delight. There's big questions as to what his future, final playing position will be and which club he will go to. Right. Southampton and Leeds were interested last summer and uh, Manchester United were making fluttery eyes. But loads of potential. The fact he got this goal and the fact that he was the one heading the goal rather than doing the cross, which he normally does, was quite pleasing as well. This is a fun, a sneaky good Dutch squad. Oh, yeah? uh, I will say I'm talking to you right now and wearing a bright orange Dutch bomber jacket. Mm -hmm. There you go. So the evidence just mounting. Could this be their year? The biggest side never to win, etc. The World Cup and so on. David Klassen, Klassen session uh, with the second goal late on, of course, as the Netherlands saw off a spirited but ultimately uh, a little bit blunt Senegal side. Why? No Sadio Mane. Is it that simple? It really could be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's obviously hugely unfortunate for Senegal that they have lost their talisman. It would be in any circumstances, but the fact that they were going into the tournament as relatively newly crowned African champions, having defeated Egypt in, in the qualifying playoff with Sadio Mane having successfully found his feet at, at Bayern Munich. And, you know, they looked the best placed of all the African countries to, to really make inroads at this tournament. You know, they have such a solid setup. Um, I, th- I thought, you know, prior to the, the two Dutch goals at the end, one potential silver lining to Mane's absence might be Ismail Assar playing on the left because we've tended to see him, we always plays on the right for Senegal because Mane's on the left and he plays a lot of his club football on the right. But as a right footer, it does make sense for him, you know, to be playing on, on the left and cutting in field. And, and you know, he he was at the centre of most of the good things that, that Senegal did in the first half. Um, I think a note of concern would be Edouard Mendy's unwitting role in, in both goals. On the first one, he, he comes for a cross that he's probably never really going to get and Cody Gakpo goes in and very bravely wins the header. And in the, sec- the second goal is just a mistake, a very tame shot from Memphis Depay, I think it was, that he, he pushes out to Davy Clarsen. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, uh, a forgettable start for Senegal and, and it, you know, assuming that everyone in that group is going to beat Qatar, it, it basically turns that Senegal-Ecuador game into, mm-hmm. into a playoff for second place, you'd think. Mm-hmm. Uh, today's been day two in Qatar and the controversies are coming thick and fast. A reporting in Doha on them is The Athletic's Adam Crafton who joins us now. Adam, thank you for joining us. Pleasure, thank you for having me. Not at all, not at all. Your daily on The Athletic football podcast kind of working title, What Fresh Hell Is This? Uh, <laughs> how have you found life so far in Qatar? Um, in, t- in terms of the place itself, I mean, you know, the people have been lovely. Um, the infrastructure, I think, apart from the issues between with the England game today where fans couldn't get into the game, I think because of the digital ticketing service maybe having issues, has mostly been pretty good. The welcome's been good, but, but you know, you can't get away from kind of all the major questions that are around the tournament and the general sort of daily sh- show around FIFA. Right. Monday's controversy being the armband affair. Adam, what's your take? Yeah, well, I think a lot of this goes back to the middle of October when the English FA and a group of European nations competing at this tournament, not all of them, but I think seven of them in the end, agreed to join together to do this one love armband. Now, I think initially a lot of people certainly from the LGBT community, we're looking at that armband. And if you actually look at the design of it, right, it doesn't, the, the design is not kind of a conventional rainbow. It's a kind of multicolored design, which they described as a non-discrimination armband. So they didn't actually call it um, a kind of gay rights or LGBT armband. So there was a kind of sense of just sort of underwhelmed, underwhelmment, if that's a word. Um, it is now. And what's happened since then is FIFA by kind of being opposed to this, have turned it into a potential great show of defiance, right? Because Mm. even the meekest gesture starts to take on renewed symbolism when there is some opposition to it and some obstacle placed in front of it. Now, over the last few days, I think on Friday, Mark Bullingham, the English FA chief executive, did an interview with Sky News where he said, um, you know, we will go ahead and wear this armband even though FIFA haven't replied to our letter, you know, where we said that we intend to wear it. If there's a fine, we'll take the fine. We'll take whatever sanction comes our way. Then another complication on Saturday where FIFA decided to issue their own armbands. Um, So you now had this ridiculous battle of the armbands where FIFA 
issued like different armbands for kind of each stage of the tournament. So there was, and they were like very, very generic social consciousness stuff. It was like slogans like share the meal or uh, save the planet or uh, I think for the quarterfinals it was no discrimination. But what it did was it kind of completely eliminated any mention of either in colour or word of LGBT or uh, rainbow or anything, anything that could even be construed like that at all was removed. And, and obviously the context of that is it's being played in Qatar where homosexuality is in some cases criminalised. So on Sunday there was this meeting between FIFA and European associations where it appeared to be made clear, according to the European associations, that there would be some kind of sanction bigger than a fine that could potentially come into play if the captains go ahead and wear this one love armband. And this became a kind of big psychodrama overnight. Will they do it? Won't they do it? Will they do it? Won't they do it? And in the end, they woke up on Monday morning and they decided the risk of a yellow card uh, was too big to kind of stand up for what they believed in. And um, that's kind of where it ended up. So, you know, pretty much no representation for LGBT people at this World Cup. Mm. It's, it's part of the kind of whole slide that's been going on, I guess, ever since the tournament was first announced, that all the things that were, were supposed to take us in a direction of actually trying to improve things have, have just not come, not come to pass. It's understandable, I guess, from a football point of view, that the managers wouldn't want their players booked. But, but why the FAs were so uh, acquiescent in, FA, in, in FIFA coming through with this last minute change of heart is, is I guess, the disappointing thing. I think there's a big disappointment among, you know, I've spoke to a lot of people from the LGBT community today who are just like pretty, pretty, pretty pissed off and pretty underwhelmed by, you know, if you have an organisation like the FA who talk for months about, you know, we're going to go there, we're going to wear this, you know, even if they find us, we'll do this and, uh, and we're going to stand up for what we believe in. And then as soon as some, an obstacle is presented in front of them, the protest just kind of disappears. Now, people might argue that the point of a protest is to be a little bit uncomfortable and is to be a, an element of risk and an element of jeopardy. And I, 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 I totally get the football argument. Nobody wants to start a match with a yellow card, right? And certainly, if you, ha if you have the same captain for three games, then if you go through the group stage, potentially you're looking at a situation where you could get suspended. However, if I'm one of those associations yesterday in that meeting with FIFA, just challenge them to do it. Right. How, I mean, imagine the scene at a World Cup, a global televised event where Harry Kane is out on the pitch wearing that armband and he's given a yellow card and he takes it. Right. That would have been a historic moment for LGBT allyship in sport. Right. Which is something that just simply does not happen. Right. In, in so many cases. So, yeah, I do get the, t the football argument, but equally, when I say the sentence, is a yellow card a price worth paying, you know, for people who are criminalised? It does sound a bit pathetic when I hear it back to myself. Do you, know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I was here today. I wasn't at the England game today, but I was in the media centre and the England game was going on. And I don't know, personally, I just found myself pretty flat and disinterested in what was going on because I just, I don't know, I felt pretty, I felt pretty betrayed. I know a lot of other people who, who feel similarly um, to that. I also, you know, look, it shouldn't be on the players to do all this stuff. It's the mm. associations, it's the federations. I hoped that if they weren't going to do that, then Gareth Southgate would come out after the get, I don't mean come out as gay, that would be a big statement, um, that he would come out um, after the game and, and, and state 
at least, you know, what the players believe, what he believes. You know, people may say, you know, well, we know what they believe. We know that they don't want gay people to be criminalised. But actually for him just to state it, mm. if they're not going to wear the armband, at least have something to say. And actually what he said in the press conference was just like, well, there's some things we can affect. There's other things we can't affect. Therefore, we'll focus our energies in different places. So it was basically a bit of, you know, you're on your own, guys. Good luck. Sorry, sorry if that's a bit no, underwhelming. No, no, not at all. It's it's all very, it's all very disillusioning. Um, in your time in Casas so far, has there been anything anything that has been a pleasant surprise for you? <laughs> uh, food's very good, um, but I think I probably expected that. Um, uh, look, um, what, one of the one of the big challenges so far. And it's something I want to try and do more of in the next few days. Just get out and about and meet actual Qataris because you can kind of you end up getting lost in the work. Of, of, of being at a tournament at times, um, it is quite hard to actually find Qataris to talk to because obviously there's a huge amount of travelling fans who are here and there's also um, a huge amount of foreign residents, migrant workers that make up the majority of the population. So I'd, I'd like to get a, more of a sense of, you know, beyond the caricatures of, you know, for example, during that Qatar game yesterday where you see fans leaving and you have those kind of ultras behind the goals where everyone's a bit unsure. And one of the challenges, it's like it's really hard when you're here to know, you know, what's real, what's fake, what's what's genuine, what's authentic. And that, that we want to try and move beyond the caricatures. But, but it is difficult at times because there's a lot of things going on which kind of require you to suspend your belief um, in what you're seeing. And one of the things I really like is, I suppose, for... FIFA to vacate the stage and actually you know the, the Qataris that have organized this tournament have kind of just disappeared mm. over the over the last week or so I mean has anyone seen you know people like Hassan Al-Thawadi who's the head of the Supreme Committee or the CEO of the Qatar 22 Nasser Al-Qatar you know these guys who who do have stories to tell about progress in Qatar about development in Qatar about why they brought the World Cup here it feels a bit like they've almost just stop telling that story now it's actually come and I think that's a bit of a shame because when you vacate the stage it leaves kind of idiotic representatives from FIFA to, to fill that space and people who are very strong critics to fill that space and it means that for those of us who are looking for a balanced appraisal it, it's very very difficult at the moment to, to, to get that truth. Adam Crafton uh, Adam, I think, uh, explains it very articulately, his, his view on that. I, mean, I would agree. I, I totally get from a football perspective why you would say, I don't want to have a, a yellow card because it's the freaking World Cup here. But, I mean, the whole argument against boycotting a tournament in this kind of a, a venue was that you will go there and raise the issues, and that's much better. So if you say we're going to do that and go there and then just don't raise the issues, then... Yes, it's... It's really disheartening. Um, the one love symbol was, I think, very milquetoast and very poorly used. You, you couldn't order an England kit with a one love symbol on it. You couldn't buy a, a cup or a badge or whatever. There was no sort of way the one love symbol was able to allow fans to divert capital to certain charities and organizations. So even as a symbol, it was a very poor one. And as Adam has correctly identified, it's not even a real rainbow. It, 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 so it's it's the most milk toast, most PR glossified, mollified, designed to be as harmless as possible symbol. And even then, you still couldn't risk it. And it's it's really 
and I'm speaking from a England football perspective here, because not only did England play against Iran, but England players took the knee as well. And they described it being very, very important. Uh, and I want to choose my words here very carefully, because we have to talk about this from an intersectionality point. But this England team has spent most of last year talking about why it was really important to take a stand against racism in football and against police brutality against black people, which is what taking the knee was about. And they did that in the face of British politicians saying this was not a correct thing to do, in the face of their own fans booing them at Wembley. And they went, no, we're going to do this because we believe it was the right thing to do against some of our own fan base, against some of our own government and whatnot. And they did it again in Qatar saying it was really, really important. So the England team is very good when they know when they can do it. And they're very good knowing that there sometimes there will be people in power that will, will, will view that poorly. And, and it's also really important to note that the Iran team did not sing their national anthem. Yeah. And Iranian fans booed their national anthem. Uh, and Carlos Queiroz apparently was informed by certain members to not take certain Iranian players as part of the squad. And the Iranian team knows the risks of, of standing up for what they want to believe in and, and protesting which their own government. a good deal more than a yellow card. Which is a good deal more than a yellow card. Both of these teams know what it's like to have people in power say, no, you can't do that. Mm. And they've both of those teams have said, no, we're going to do it anyway. So, and again, I'm going to put this on the England team in particular. I know the Netherlands team also didn't wear the armband. I know the German team hasn't. And I don't, as far as I understand, the France team won't either. But it was disheartening that the England team didn't necessarily have the discussions, didn't have the should we just do it anyway, didn't mm. have the should we stand for this, despite the fact we'll Roy have Keane a penalty. Roy com- coming out really strongly in favour of, of going out, wearing the armband, taking the yellow card, because as Adam was saying there, it would have been a, such an iconic scene. It is a colossal missed opportunity, um, and you can sympathise with the individual players who would have ended up you know, being booked and and how that might have affected them. Well, you so can see where they're coming from. Could you but not put your like second choice keeper? Well, out? exactly, and then just sub him off. But yeah. I mean, the, 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 as, as Carl says, if you decide that something is worth protesting about, as all of these European FAs clearly did, because it obviously is something that's worth protesting about. You don't then cancel the protest because you've asked for permission and weren't given permission. And what these countries have done is basically decided that. Standing up for gay people who are being persecuted in Qatar, but not only Qatar, all around the world, was less important than their captain running the risk of getting suspended in a World Cup group game, which is absolutely disgraceful. And if you think about what the games looked like today that we watched, now we watched those games in the UK and all the coverage and all the talk around the game, a lot of it was focused on the issue of the One Love Armband and this whole debate. But if you watched, you know, if you watched those games in other countries, that wouldn't have been part of the debate. By choosing not to protest, that incredibly valuable moment to do something so symbolic during the most watched sporting event in the world just vanished. And no one took a stand for marginalised gay people today during the World Cup. Credit to Alex Scott. Credit to Alex Scott, the only wear... the only person who. But there who, were other who, members who of the press who also yes. wore from mm. from Grant Wall, who, mm. who got who was wearing a football with a rainbow kind of mm. outline, a t-shirt, and was told to remove it by security staff mm. when he was trying to come into the stadium. There's had... also footage of Wales Welsh football fans mm. wearing rainbow. Yeah, who had, and, and, and it is and it is it, there is this creeping sense that a lot of things that the the organising committee said would be tolerated 
are actually not going to be tolerated. Journalists being prevented from entering stadiums because they're wearing, you know, a rainbow T-shirt. Fans having rainbow rainbow coloured hats being taken off them. Zippy and bungle off the guest list. Off the guest list. Like, it, it, it's really disheartening. And you think about what a strong image it would have been today if those protests had gone ahead, if players had walked... And, uh, you know, the, the armband itself is, is, is kind of unsatisfying because it, it, you know, it's not, a, a, it's not a, a, a true, you know, LGBTQ plus armband. But for a player to, to walk out in a World Cup game and accept a booking because of that, would have would have been you know the, the most progressive message possible, and that opportunity is gone. And it's you know it's in this tournament at least mm-hmm. it feels like it's gone for if good, which to, is a real uh, shame. As what's going on, on social media, if you have to ask for, for permission, it's not a true protest. And again, I have to reinforce intersectionality is important. I mean, when I when I mention the knee, I'm also talking about all Black Lives Matter, Black members of the LGBT plus Q community. We're talking right now, and there's there's been a shooting in the United States at a gay club. Like this, this was a very pertinent moment to say something and people chose to say nothing because they couldn't they didn't want to risk a yellow card yeah and there are people who say well you have to respect the culture uh, of the country that you're playing in but to me that's the most ludicrous concept is if you've gone to play the World Cup in South Africa in, in the apartheid years, you'd go, yeah, that's, that's their culture. I mean, let's his, not get his, into History does not look kind on people who unthinkingly respect the culture of the country that they are visiting when that country is doing things that are clearly morally wrong. And Indeed. this is another example of that. Indeed. Well, uh, let's have a think about what's coming up then Tuesday in the Qatari World Cup. Incredible game. When they play with a false nine, it changes everything. A false nine, eh? What's that then? Well, it, it's um, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's what well, he's, he's a nine, but he's not really a nine in the area. And uh... oh, sorry, I just got to take that. Urgent football question? Call the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline. 0800 433 433. News, insights, analysis. The Athletic. Know the game. Love the game. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. 
It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Listener, there's a special offer this week. You can purchase a subscription to The Athletic for just, any guesses? A pound a month. It is a pound a month, Carl, because you, you, you you've been doing this in your radar. <laughs> it's a pound a month, listener. That's insane, a pound a month for the next 12 months as well. Bargain. I thought maybe a pound a month and then after the second month it kind of kicks over to 64 pounds a month. But no, it's one pound a month for 12 months. Don't believe me? Why? Check it out at theathletic.com slash totally for yourself. Get two. Tuesday's action, Group C. Argentina take on Saudi Arabia. That could be tight. Argentina have won their last five straight games. In those five games, they've scored 16 goals and they've conceded none. Well, yes, but just to counter that, mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia stat for you, they've only conceded more than one goal once, Saudi Arabia, in their last 19 games. Right. And during that time, they've played Australia twice, Colombia, Ecuador, the United States, and Croatia. Right. So they might not automatically be the lambs to the slaughter, mm, we think. I'm pulling the face at some of those nations you've listed. Right. They did lose 8-0 to Germany in the 2002 World Cup group stage, so... That could be one to watch. Mexico-Poland at four o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday, UK time, which might feature Raul Jimenez. Possibly. Possibly. Robert Lemdowski chasing his first ever World Cup goal. Loads of storylines there. Meantime, there's also Group D. Seven o'clock, Tuesday night, UK time. France-Australia. France, of course, now without not only Pogba and Kante in midfield, but also Karim Benzema. And then at one o'clock, Denmark, Tunisia. Yeah, Benzema out. Somebody pointing out before you t- feel too bad for Deschamps. That that means he has to fall back on the exact same attack that won the last World <laughs> Cup. Mbappe, Griezmann, and Giroud. Yeah, so it's not all bad. Um, and but, this and this is also um, the exact same fixture that France started their 2018 World Cup no campaign way. Uh, against what was Australia. The then? A very very scratchy two-one win. Um, and France went into that game playing with quite a bold 4-3-3. Kylian Mbappe, Ousmane Dembele, Antoine Griezmann, you thought, OK, well, this is it. This is Didier Deschamps finally taking the shackles off, and France's very underwhelming performance in that game only served to remind Didier Deschamps why he does not like taking the shackles off. So the shackles promptly went back on, and he landed upon the lopsided 4-2-3-1 shape with Matuidi on the left, sort of counterbalancing Indeed. Mbappe's raids on the right. And that was what took France to glory in, in Moscow a few weeks later. And then going into this this game against the same opposition four and a half years later, Giroud's going to start because Benzema's out. Griezmann and Mbappe are going to start because they were always going to start. And it actually looks like Ousmane Dembele is going to start as well, um, having put his injury problems behind him and had a very successful first um, first part of the season with Barcelona um, and also looks uh, as if Rafa Varane is not going to be fit to start. So going to have a new look centre-back pairing of Deo Upamecano and Ibrahima Kanate. New look for France, Ooh. of course, not new look for RB Leipzig where they spent four years together. So it's kind of half of the team that won the World Cup in 2018 and then half newcomers plugging the gaps. Nice. Very nice. The other game from that group will be at one o'clock uh, UK time Tuesday, and that is Denmark against Tunisia. To tell us more about the Danish side of that, we're joined now by Eurosport's Niels Harald. Niels, 
Nils, first of all, everyone outside of Denmark is talking Denmark up as major, major dark horses. What are people saying inside Denmark? <laughs> you see, we have a bit of history against us here because we're not that used to being at tournaments. It sounds strange, but our first World Cup was in 86. We reached the quarterfinals in uh, 98. But this time around, yeah, people are starting to hope for something good. You know, we went to the semifinals in the Euros. Obviously, that has started a lot of hope going around. But, you know, you, you don't really believe it because we have a history against us. We're not really a big team, so to speak. Mm. But uh, the, the team itself is, is huge in belief that they will go far in this tournament. Right, with that experience last summer that you mentioned and Christian Eriksen returning to the side as well. Plus, your form of late has been pretty amazing too. Nine out of ten qualifying matches you won. You beat France twice in the Nations League or in your group, of course, and, and, and they've been significantly weakened by, by injuries. So beyond your reticence for you know the historical reasons, what do you think counts against Denmark? Where, where do you think the issues might lie? Uh, the issue might lie that if we, if we get out of the group as number two, we might run into Argentina. Everybody's talking about that game like it's going to happen. So that is that is a problem. But obviously, we beat France twice. So I think it's it's a part of what I talked about before, about winning culture, about believing in yourself, and also a realistic look at the tournament that brings us to Argentina, probably. So it's it's a mixture of those things. That being said, we have had good results. We have a great coach. We have belief in a team that is uh, doing very good at the moment, as you saw in the Euros. So mm. it's it's a mixture between the two things now. And I am, um, but I think I think the Argentina game that is lurking is is an obstacle, uh, definitely. Oh, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we, we come to it. The Euros was such an impressive tournament and, and heartbreaking the, at the end of extra time in the semifinals with, with England. But this team here, would I be right in saying that it's even stronger than the one you had last summer? Yeah, because they've had uh, one year and a half. And obviously, they also had Christian Eriksen, which is the major difference because he is going to play. He's going to be a major player in this tournament, I think. Uh, remember, the cardiac arrest was in the first game of the Euros, and everything was sort of defined by that accident. So now he's out to prove himself. He hasn't really proved, aside from last year, he has had difficult times in the big tournaments. So I believe that Christian Eriksen is going to play a huge tournament for Denmark. That is that is a big hope for us. And obviously, the rest of the team has matured. Andreas Skov Olsen is getting very good. We have players who, has, who have been playing for the teams. You have seen Pierre-Emil Højbjerg in, in Tottenham. And we have a lot of good players around who are playing regularly football. And that's, that's a plus for Denmark right now. OK. Uh, is there a new name in there that you're particularly excited to see at this tournament? No, not so much uh, compared to the team the last uh, last time around. I would say, look after Mele. He's very good, mm. and you saw that at the Euros already, but he'll have a strong tournament, I think. And, and Andreas Gaw Olsen has matured a lot. He's a really good, he's, he's becoming a really great uh, attacking uh, force for us. So I, I would look after him. Nils Harold there. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting lunchtime treat, that game. First four daya. First oh, four, yeah. um, four, game four, four, four gamer tomorrow. Yeah. So strap yourselves in. Absolutely. It begins early and it begins hard with 
uh, Argentina against the uh, mighty Saudi Arabia. The doughty Saudis. Yeah. And, and straight after the final whistle, of course, of uh, France-Australia, we'll be sat here for another totally at the World Cup. So I do hope you'll be joining us for that, listener. That brings us to the end of today's journey through it all. Carl, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Tom as well. Pleasure as ever. Adam Crafton and Nils, our thanks to you and producer Charlie and you, listener, you stalwart. Uh, We'll be back here in 24 hours. Why not join us again then? For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.